Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast, where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary summer things are roses in my garden, a dash through the lawn sprinkler, and fresh corn on the cob, grilled. And a few of mine are watermelons so sweet that the juice runs down your face and stains your elbows, campfires that smell of sweet pine cones, and vanilla-flavored iced coffee with cream that can crack any face into a grin. We hope these conversations help you see the extra hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I loved our conversation last week about the landscapes. I think of them as the landscapes of our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> the landscapes that let us breathe. That's right. That's right. So you shared about how you have a hard time with wooded landscapes and forests because you you long for those, you know, wide open spaces of your childhood in South Africa. And you know I love trees and I shared my love for trees in that conversation, but I think uh, we had this in common that I love the openness you you get with lots of sunlight pouring in. So I love that uh, my home is not surrounded right up close with a forest because lots of light can pour in. But the stories that we think need to be told today <laughs> are about the ways that our homes right now during this continuing pandemic in our country and around the world have closed off our homes in certain ways, and it's becoming hard to breathe. And I share that even our listeners may hear something in my voice. It's quite literal for me <laughs> right now in late summer as my allergies kick in and triggers my asthma that you may hear the a little bit of that breathlessness and that scratchiness in my voice. You know, quite literally, I'm feeling this <gasps> lack of, you know, oxygen and this, uh, you know, the, that effort to breathe. And I think you and I, in our parenting and in our um, homes right now, we're, we're feeling that. So here we go. We're going to tell some stories. And I have a feeling, I hope, because we've seen it week after week, that in the telling of the stories, we will, we will walk toward new clarity, maybe some hope for us and for our listeners. What do you think? I hope so. I sure need it because parenting in a pandemic is no joke. There's just, there's no how-to book right. for this. Like Nobody understands what it's like because we're all going to through it together for the first time. And so nobody can really write about it yet. What's hard is we don't know. Are we still at the beginning? Are we at the middle or are we at the end? We, we don't know any of these things. And I think back to when we were just sort of beginning this experiment of social distancing, you and I at the time were experiencing a lot of really positive things from being home, from having less busy schedules, from being with our people. I have always had typically a very busy sports schedule, lots of driving. And so there was such relief about just getting a break from that and having such close contact with all of our people. That was such a deep blessing. And those things are still a blessing. That's true. But it's kind of like traveling through a landscape and the landscape has changed again. And I look up now and I'm surrounded by all of these tall trees that are crowding in, by which I mean that all of these people I love more than anything in the <laughs> world are, are here always, all the time, forever. <laughs> 
and I can't breathe, Christy. I cannot <laughs> breathe. I'm laughing, but I'm crying, laugh crying, because <laughs> it's so true. It's true. And it's yeah. just, it's a difficult thing because I, so I'll confess, after having had a good start to practicing social distancing and experiencing this family dynamic and even schooling in a new way, I confess to our listeners that this past week, the last week of July 2020, has officially been the hardest week I've had. And there are a number of reasons, I think, for that, but it has felt all week like the chaos of of the world was like in my home suddenly. And we were talking to a friend of ours this week, a mutual friend, Alrina, who is the editor-in-chief of our amazing monthly publication, Paper and String. And I was talking to her about how crazy I felt and how I couldn't understand why I felt this terrible and this overwhelm. And part of it I know is because I like to have peace in my home just in terms of, you know, organization and clear surfaces and a space for everything, you know, a place for everything, like Mary Poppins would say. And my husband, he was recently um, laid off. And so he came home with 12 years worth of stuff from his office and we don't have a home office for him. And so all of that stuff is now here in my home also, along with all the anxiety and other intangibles you move home with you when something like that has happened. And so, you know, here are the people you love going through hard things. And the last thing you want to do is be the whining wife constantly saying, why are all these piles still here? Can't we organize this? Moving things to different places you know, on shelving units or on tables is not the same. It's like sorting them and putting them away. And then there's the soccer cleats because my son Jackson is playing soccer out in the yard and Micah's lacrosse stick. And then there's the cats and the chaos of feeding teenagers 24-7 and the bowls of chips and cups of water and milk that are everywhere. And I I actually felt like I was going to have some kind of episode. Like I got to a point where I felt like, it felt like, if you if you if you've ever read anything about highly sensitive people and how they experience stimulus in the world and I don't know that I would have ever before this pandemic described myself that way but what I've learned about myself is that I exist as a mom who works full time from home and the way that works is that my husband works in an office and my children go to school. And so my house is very quiet during the day and very peaceful. And the night before each new workday, I do like a big reset in my house. I can't even start work if the dishes feel like they're cluttery. It's not just aesthetic for me. I've started to realize like it actually creates space in my head and I was trying to explain to my husband, if I'm a person who has to create, so I'm pulling out of my head all the time, ideas and concepts and stories, but if my head is cluttered with the stress that's cluttering up my house, I can't create. So I can't create inside until my outside is also peaceful. And this week, I started to realize it's never going to be that way again. No one will ever all be out of the house at the same time. I will never be alone in this house. And there's nowhere for me to go and work. Like, I can't just like go to a coffee shop for eight hours or go to the library or there's nowhere to go. And I, I have felt such overwhelming panic is the only way I can describe it that I actually started to feel like I was losing my mind. 
I was horrible. I was a horrible wife and a horrible mother this week. I was snippy and snitty and short and whiny and mean. And I even every night I would like apologize and be like, sorry, this day was so terrible. <laughs> like, I'm sure tomorrow will be better. And then it wasn't. It was just never better, Christy. Like the whole week was bad until Friday. Finally, I, I guess, I don't know when it was late in the week. I finally said to my husband in as non-passive aggressive way as I could, so you're done, right? Like, so you're done moving, like, and sorting. Like, this is your version of done now, like all of these piles. May I help you? Like, may I now come and find, like, homes for these places? Um, and he was like, sure, if you want to. Because I realized at that point he had carried in not just the boxes, but just the weight of the emotional exhaustion from clearing out an office, from all the closing downs and saying goodbyes. And he's been a professor for the last 12 years. He has all these students who love him, but education just got really hard hit in this pandemic, especially off-campus education, which is what he runs. And so he wasn't just moving books home. He was bringing home like the weight of that experience. And I realized, okay, the thing I can do to help him now is to help carry that load further. So I got done work early so like at three in the afternoon, I told my two kids who were around, one of them was out with his dad, we are now going to create peace in this house. And we started sorting and putting boxes away and moving things to recycling and shelving things. And Christy, I told my children as I was organizing like that, it was like I could actually feel the stress leaving my body, creating order for my eyes to see creating clean surfaces and space and organization. And I feel like it sounds weird, like that that would be such a big deal for me, but it really was. And when the house was finally like peaceful again, it was a house that felt like it exhaled and I could light a candle. All I wanted to do was sit down on the sofa and experience that. Like I wanted to hold the emptiness of the house <laughs> in my heart and like burrow into that space of quiet for as long as I could. And of course, I had like half an hour, you know, because everybody is here. And so for me, parenting in a pandemic isn't just about our kids or the interactions we're having about them. What I realized for parents is that there's also whatever else is happening in that space, like whatever else the emotional weight is, whether it's to do with your job or worries about your family or your your own parents who are far away and might have health concerns, whether it's to do with finances, whether it's to do with your own health. There are just so many layers that are complicating the fog of home and they are impacting how we parent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just nodding. I'm just sitting here <laughs> nodding. <laughs> Lisa Joe, I, I didn't even tell you this. Um, you know, we, we come into these conversations, we, we have a sense of the stories we'll tell. Sometimes we discuss them a little bit, but then really we just hop in and, and try, to, try to talk as friends talk. And so I didn't even tell you this before we hit record, but right before we hopped on to record, and, um, and now, of course, pandemic and other change, we record virtually. We used right. to always come together yeah. in person here in my little office on the third floor at Maplehurst, but now we, we use technology and I'm looking at your face on my computer screen and we're recording. But right before we hit record, I was um, I got an email and I was quickly answering it. This is the email I had sent in a desperate moment last night, <laughs> right before falling asleep. <laughs> Wait for it. I sent an email 
to a local cabinet maker who has frequently sent me flyers in the mail that have always made me drool because they show pictures of of built-in bookshelves, oh, floor-to-ceiling yeah. bookshelves. Right. And it's a local company, and every time I've gotten it, I've thought, oh, this is what we want for our front room. Mm. This is this would be so lovely. Someday, someday, I'll, I'll actually get all my books organized, and they'll all fit in one room, and you know, someday, someday. Last night, <laughs> in my sort of late night, oh my goodness, it's all too much, I thought, maybe someday is now. Let me just <laughs> find out what the quote would be. I, you know, who knows if we can afford it? Who knows if it would be the right thing? But I just need to know. And so I sent an email and said, you know, can you tell me more about built-in bookshelves? Because I felt in that moment, Lisa Joe, that if I could at least get my books organized, mm-hmm. if I could at least pull in all the books that are sitting in piles in all the places, and then free up some shelves over here for the dishes that are sitting over here and the, you know and the all the schoolwork that all the notebooks and books that came home with my kids that I now realize will stay home because like you my children will be schooling virtually in the fall I felt maybe this is the thing <laughs> maybe this is the thing that will solve the problem and Lisa Joe you know maybe it will happen and maybe it will help But I think what I'm realizing is that we're facing something that really is hard and really is beyond my control and really is uncertain. And it's not, it's not going to change tomorrow. And no matter how organized I get, no matter how on top of things I, I am, no matter how diligent I am to wake up every morning and spend time in quiet and prayer, um, these things are not changing and they're going to continue to be hard. And I don't quite know what to do with that because That's really so all my hopes right now are writing on built-in bookshelves that will That's save my so life. <laughs> I know. I so we're just gonna tell you and in, in, you know, in case you haven't figured this out, friends, we don't actually have a solution to offer you today. <laughs> like we're just in the middle with you. And I will say some things have helped in the processing. So not in a solution, but in the processing, which I think is one of the stages toward walking toward a solution is you have to go through the process. And so I started saying earlier about our mutual friend, Alrina, and she had such a wonderful observation that she actually attributes to her brother who had written to her about it. And he, I think this started because Alrina and I, I was telling her how I felt so insane. Like, I felt like I was losing my mind in my own house. and I didn't know why. And she said she had one of her kids had told her, Mom, I feel homesick. And she had said, you know, essentially, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, we're all home all the time. What more? How much more home do you want? But her brother had offered such helpful context. And I wanted to offer it to you guys today because it had really helped me. He said that home used to be a place that was a respite and a relief from all of the other activity in our lives. So whether that is school or work or church or sport or commuting or friendships, whatever it is, home was the place we would return back to from those things, become refreshed, and then go back out again into those things. And I have such fond memories if I think back to six months ago in the winter, you know, having vanilla candles lit and my kids coming in on a crisp evening after sport and walking in the door, like my big teen boys and saying, oh, I just love coming home. Oh, it's so wonderful. I love our house. Home was a place that welcomed them and offered sanctuary and rest. 
The problem is that now home has become work and church mm-hmm. and school and sports and friendships all at once. And there's mm-hmm. no longer an opportunity to experience respite or relief or a break even from those things. And that's why we, we're experiencing a, to a degree a sense of homesickness for what home used to be. And when she said that, Christy, I had such a deep breath for the first time, I feel like all week. It made sense to me in a way that I hadn't understood. Like, I'm homesick for that experience, too, of giving my kids those moments. I remember in February, I love Valentine's Day, and my kids would all be at school, and I would clean the house, and I would decorate with hearts everywhere, and I would have cupcakes and tea parties waiting for them when they got home from school. And then other days when I don't feel like that kind of stuff, you know, they'd come home and we just order Chinese food together. But there is that rhythm, and I think that's what it is. It's a liturgy that we don't get to experience anymore. I love yeah. how Jamie Smith always talks about that, the liturgies of life that we live, which are really just these rhythms. And so we no longer have the come and go, the wake up, prepare, send our children out into the world, have some time to miss them, and then have them return to us. And I think this is true whether you were ever, you know, schooling with kids out of the out of the home or you were homeschooling, because from talking to homeschooling friends, they too have said it's not the same. Like the rhythms they're experiencing are not the same either, because as we all know, homeschoolers aren't just like cloistered at home all the time. They also have rhythms and patterns and activities and co-op that they're part of. And so we've all, every single one of us, no matter how we parent or school, have lost those liturgies of what it feels like for home to be different, to feel Mm -hmm. like a different space. And what was hard is I realized there's no answer to that. At least I don't have one yet because it is, it just is. It is how it is. And I yesterday did a short Instagram story about it. And my son, Micah, was in the living room. Of course, he was because we're all in each other's space Like (laughs) on the Xbox. He had it on mute while I'm doing the story bewailing how my home is no longer my home. And when I was done, I was just sitting on the stair, like just staring into space. And he just came up behind me and gave me this huge like man-child hug. And I just said to him, buddy, like, did you hear that? And he was like, yeah. And I was like... Remember how it used to be that you loved coming home and now we all just fight all the time over here? (laughs) He just Uh, gave me a big hug and it felt like a piece of home in that moment. mm -hmm. But man, I feel homesick. That's actually clarifying for me as well because one thing I've struggled to understand about my experience right now, I've been really, well, let me back up and say (laughs) that you and I have shared before that we approach uh, social media and especially Instagram differently. So sometimes you you shared that um, it could be become a comparison trap for right. you, that you could see things on there that seemed so desirable, and then it made you dissatisfied with what you had. And mm-hmm. so you, you've you been learning, I think, really well how to navigate that. And I used to tell you, oh, Lisa Joe, that's just different for me. I don't go on and compare. I go on and I feel inspired. Right. So it's actually more refreshing for me. But lately, that has not been true. And oh, the thing that has been tripping me up <laughs> is that Right now, um, summer here in the U.S., a lot of folks, even in this pandemic time, are able to take vacations and travel, mm-hmm. you know, safely, you know, of course, usually, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, still finding ways to do it. And um, my family, we've always made it a priority to get away for a week each summer, and we're just not able to do that this summer. The things we had fell through, got canceled. There's just, there's there's nothing, and and we don't see a way to change that, and so 
after being home for months, we will just continue to be home. So I've been going online and seeing vacation photos and feeling that dissatisfaction with my own lot and feeling, um, yeah, just feeling <laughs> not good feelings and <laughs> some envy and so on. So that that's just really surprised me. And I, I've been wrestling with it and thinking, what's going on, Christy? Because you love your home. You've been really um, blessed to create a home for your family and for others that's very life-giving, um, that's very spacious. I have so much to be grateful for in my home place. This is, for the most part, a very easy place to be in quarantine with my family. Um, so what's going on? Why are you, you know, why this dissatisfaction? And, and you're a homebody who, who, who loves to be at home, tending the garden, caring for your animals. Um, vacations don't always um, work with that because I know I need to be here watering my plants, harvesting, right. you know, for my garden. So what is going on? But I think you've, you've helped me put a finger on it. Not, I love my home. And one thing, one experience that I normally have in the summer that I am grieving the loss of right now, I think, when I go on and see these vacation photos, is homecoming. Mm. There's no, there's not going to be a return to my garden this summer. There's not going to be that moment where I have, I have, um, you know, I'm someone who's very tethered, strongly tethered to my home. Mm. <laughs> like, almost like the umbilical cord, you know, a mother shares with her child. I am tethered to my home. But every year, at least a few times, I, I stretch that tether thin and I go away and I do feel a burden lift because I am a placemaker. I'm responsible for this home. I do always, just like a mom who feels responsible for her children, I feel a responsibility to care for this place, to tend it, to get up early and water those plants and, and you know, tackle the repairs, etc. And so vacation um for me, even as a homebody, is a chance to sort of lay that burden down for a while and just rest and, and breathe easy and then have that wonderful moment of coming back with fresh vision for home and rest and and, and new energy to continue placemaking well. Well, this summer I won't have that. I won't have that homecoming. And I think I have internally been struggling with it more than I realized because when I look at the vacation photos, I kept thinking, what is it you want, Christy? Do you want to go to the mountains? Do you wish you were at the beach? And that wasn't exactly it. And so I didn't know, like, how do I fix this? But I think I think that's what it is. I just wanted to be able to lay the burden down for a while, be in a in a place that didn't need me, that I'm not responsible for, that is just there for me to enjoy. And I think as we talk about parenting in a pandemic, there's a parallel here um, for parents or really anyone who's listening who has, you know, the responsibilities like this. Um, right now, we don't, we don't have those experiences. And you and I used to get it where this thing that tethers us to our children is always there, right? Mm -hmm. But when I would send them off to school, it felt like the umbilical cord, the cord, the silver thread that connects me and them. I was I was taking that and I was putting it in someone else's hands for a while, saying, "Here you go. Now you are responsible for my kids. You are carrying this burden from eight in the morning to two in the afternoon." And of course, I would think about my kids. I would pray for them if I knew, you know, something's going on. They have a test. They have a, you know a friend issue, you know, of course they would come to mind. It's not like I would forget about them. But for those hours, I could focus on my writing. I could focus on my work because I knew right now the kids are not mine 
to, to be in charge of, to be responsible. Right. They're not my responsibility right now. They, their teachers have them. We have a great school community. They're well cared for. Um, God goes with them. I can let them go and then welcome them home, as right. you described, you know? And right now, that is not happening. <laughs> and it will not happen in the fall. And so when I think about the fall, I feel a little bit that sense of like the walls closing in. And what it has felt like to work this summer, I, I sit at my desk but I'll hear a voice or I'll hear an argument and I think, oh, what do they need? Or I notice, wow, it's getting close to lunchtime. My youngest is, is probably getting hungry. Um, do I need to go down and cook for, I, I'm just aware of them and their needs in a way that I can't quite set aside. And um, that makes it difficult, frankly, to focus on on my work in the way that I used to do. And I don't know I don't know what that, if that's just the new reality. I don't know if that's a problem to solve. I don't know if that's something to accept. Um, certainly there are aspects of it, as you said, that I rejoice in. I love the time we're getting together as a family. It's not all bad. There's like silver lining just running through everything. And yet there are these heavier realities that when I think about the work I'm committed to do in the fall, and I think about also helping my kids school and just having them home and and feeling that responsibility for them all day, it feels like I can't quite catch my breath. And I don't know what the new life-giving rhythm could be. I don't know if a new life, I feel like, is a new life-giving rhythm possible? Yeah. And I have found myself doubting and fearing and worrying that it's not even possible, that when I step into that fall season, um, there won't be life there. There will just be stress (laughs) and chaos. Um, I don't think that's true, but I haven't seen a vision beyond it yet. But I believe there's something, I, I believe what I, I believe there's more. I believe there's good ahead, um, but I can't quite see it yet. It's almost like I'm needing to believe or have faith in it, even though I can't yet see it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's so helpful to hear you just say that all so honestly. <laughs> His conversation got very real today. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, everything you're describing, I feel too. I feel that tether it's almost as if it's like directly running from my brain to my children. So when I'm trying to focus on a task or project or a commitment I have with a client, there's constantly like I'm interrupted out of it by a jerk on my brain, wondering about a kid, how long have they been on an iPad today? Have they been outside? What have they done? Did they eat? You know, have they eaten anything beyond chicken nuggets this week? Like, (laughs) and It's helpful at this point to just point out, you know, and Christy and I are so privileged because we have really great husbands. We're not single moms. We're not military spouses who I know just this whole pandemic has hit in a completely different and more dire way. We have husbands who are present and great dads and very involved in their kids' lives. And part of what she, you know, you and I, Christy, were trying to process this morning before this call is that we realized our husbands just don't seem to have, though, that mental tug in the same way. So when they are working on a project, I think there's actually for them the experience of relief that we have if our kids are at a friend's house or at school. Like for them, their brain detaches and they can work on whatever they're working on without constantly being interrupted because you're pulled back into the orbit of your kid and what they need, whether the child is even there asking you for anything or not. Because Mm -hmm. on days where that happens and then I check in with Peter and I'm like, have they eaten? And I ask all these questions and he says... 
what are you doing? Like, I'm handling them today. They're fine. Like, yes, we ate lunch late or so-and-so was on their iPad more, but it's fine. Like, it's handled. Mm -hmm. But there's this thing in my own brain I cannot turn off. I cannot detach from it. And so when they're in my orbit here, it is very, very difficult to have the kind of single-minded focus that, that creativity and work requires at times, which itself can sound, I guess, spoiled and privileged. But yet I think I actually, I'll, I'll put it in this context. Of course, I'm going to quote some film thing to explain this for people. <laughs> so I'm watching, um, as we all are, a lot more TV than normal. And I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary called The Last Dance that's on Netflix. And listen, I'm not a sports person at all when it comes to like watching professional sports. Like I'm really into my kids' sports, but I don't watch any of, I would never choose to sit down and watch sport on TV. But the documentary is incredibly compelling because, of course, these things are not about sports. They're about life and about relationships. And there's this really interesting scene where Michael Jordan is talking about the big campaign that happened in the 90s that probably most people here are familiar with. I'm even familiar, and I wasn't necessarily growing up here at the time. But it was the campaign called Be Like Mike. Do you oh, remember that, Christine, yeah, where they would have yeah. like, all these little jingles and they'd sing Be Like Mike? And it was like Gatorade or something. And there'd be all these little kids singing about Be Like Mike. And it was toward the end of his career, and he was being interviewed. And he said, you know, a lot of people think they want to be like Mike. They want to be Michael Jordan. And he said, you know, I think they want to be Michael Jordan for maybe an hour, maybe a day, maybe a week. He said, I want to see the person who wants to be Michael Jordan for a year. Nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. And it was so startling to hear him say that, especially as you're watching this film and you see that his life is just this pressure cooker where he has no privacy. Like the only time he has privacy is in his house or he's in his hotel room. Like he's just mobbed wherever he goes. Everybody wants something from him all the time. <laughs> wow, it sounds like being a mom. <laughs> Without the paycheck that comes with Without it. The paycheck. <laughs> oh, but I think um, my point is simply that there are, you know, maybe for a week or a month, it was fun to have all of that around us, right? To have all the constant kids and needs and you can manage it maybe for that. But it's the ongoing. It's like the six months. It's the year where there's no respite, no relief, and no end in sight, where you are constantly in a vortex that isn't then privileged. The way you could say to Michael Jordan, well, your life is so privileged and you have all this money and why are you complaining about how nobody would want to be you for a year? And I feel like there are many similarities to this experience. Like, oh, you're so privileged and you get to stay home with your kids and it's so wonderful and how great that you can homeschool them. And that is all true. But after six months or a year, it doesn't feel like privilege anymore because you don't have options. You don't get to choose. It's not like you chose this experience. So you, you don't get to choose to have them go to camps or go back into sports or and, you know, experience freshman year of high school the same way. All of the choices are removed. And so when choice is removed, it's deeply emasculating for people. And I think that's a lot of how parenting feels these days for me. Like the choices that really are a parent's resource when I think about parenting well, they're all removed. And so it's it just dwindles down to me and Peter and that feels just crushing. Like the weight of it has felt really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I nodding, just <laughs> nodding. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So let me think uh, again. We we said at the beginning that we don't have the answers, but we have stories, 
and we have some of the things that are helping us process. I think you're right that the first, one of a really good first step is just to acknowledge and recognize. And I love that you were able to do that this week with Elrina's help. That was really helpful to me too, to, to think about, oh, I love homecoming. Getting away is good. And right now I can't do that. And that is hard. It, it does no one any good to, um, to deny, <laughs> to, to shove down the real experience. I saw really funny, I, I have a good friend um, or a, a friend through my church. She's a therapist and he posted the funniest thing on um, Facebook this week. It was something like, um, yes, therapists really do wake up eager to pull out the tears that you have been shoving down for a decade. <laughs> like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so great. Because right, who does that? Who wakes up saying, yes, today, (laughs) you know, my purpose is to meet with this person and help draw out the very thing that they have worked so hard (laughs) to suppress for so long. Right. But, um, you know, so that's just to say, like, it it does none of us any good to pretend like things aren't what they are. Mm. And yet, I don't think that's the end of the story. And there are certainly still I mean, if we if we do the kind of gratitude practice, whether we actually write things down or we make mental lists, there is still so much to be grateful for, even in you know the hard the hard things. And so I'm certainly doing that, and that's helpful. But I think at the end of the day, at least right now, where we're still very much in the middle, um, really the only thing right now is every day again saying. God, I'm at your mercy. God, I need your help. I don't have enough. And just being present in that day and not not looking too far ahead, I think that's um, a mistake I make is that I just keep looking ahead and, and trying to, in my mind, imagine how it would be different, imagine how it would be better, or imagine how I can take control of the situation by building big bookshelves, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's me just trying to like fix it. So what is it to say like, okay, I'm going to put that down. I'm going to, at least in some big fundamental way, stop trying to fix it, and I'm just going to show up again and again. And maybe, Lisa Joe, it's okay if for a while it looks like every night you apologize and every morning you get up and you try again. <laughs> like, maybe that's okay. And you wait. We wait patiently for those breakthroughs where a friend like Elrina says something that now that is like the bread of life. That is a word of truth that we can hold on to that, that nourishes us. And then we we just keep going until the next, knowing that there will continue to be new mercies, um, new words of encouragement, new hope, that this isn't actually forever. Um, but I have thought as well this week that, um, you know, again, as moms who gave birth to our children, I've thought about those last weeks of pregnancy where something happens in you and you actually do believe that you will never give birth. You actually yeah. <laughs> do believe that this child will never come out of you and this is how it ends, that you will be right. pregnant forever. I know what that feels like, that kind of, you know, it's illogical and yet you feel it deeply, the hopelessness of it, you know, like this is it forever. Um, I remember that. And I've I felt like, oh, I feel like that's kind of what this feels like. Like in my head, I know that this is just a season even if, like, again, we don't know what the virus will do, but I know what my children might do. My children will grow up. They will continue growing up. They will not always live in my home. I know this is just a season. I know. I know that. I know that things will go on changing. Logically, I know that, and yet I don't feel it. And, and to just um, accept that, oh, yeah, some seasons are like that. Some seasons are just, you're in them, and you can't see beyond them. And, and that's, that's okay. That's just, that's how it is. 
Then I'll just add, so on a practical note for people listening, one of the reasons this week I felt relief from hearing from Elrina, from Micah coming and hugging me is because I told them, right, how I was Ah, feeling. I think that's really important. It's one thing to carry sort of that feeling of craziness or stress or panic or claustrophobia. It really is dissipated by letting it escape out of you when you say the words out loud. And I remember I was leaving that message for a group of friends and I just was like, this is going to sound crazy, but I feel crazy. And I just went on this whole rant about how crazy (laughs) I feel. And I didn't understand why at all. I was like, I don't, I love these people. I wish they were none of them in my house. I don't know how to function. I'm struggling so much. But that opened the door then for Arena to share her experience and what her brother had said. And our then our friend Amy talked about what did she what kind of grief is it that she talked about? Uh, yeah, she talked about ambiguous, ambiguous grief. grief. Which is, yeah, something she's been reading about now that um that is that kind of grief. So the homesickness, right? It's an ambiguous homesickness because you want to say, here you are at home. <laughs> right. And yet we're acknowledging that, yeah, something has been lost and you didn't lose it. It's not your fault. This is this is not a normal situation. And right. so the grief you're feeling is is justified and is real. And there's you know, there's no wishing it away, but confronting it, recognizing it, and telling people. Yeah. And that really does help. I yeah, think, that's good. And I think those are the tools we'll just leave you with this week. Confronting it, recognizing it, and telling someone about it. You don't need to solve it yet. I don't know if there is a soul for it, but I definitely know part of, I kind of think of it like a balloon and you have to let the air out. You know, you just kind of slowly let the air leak out in order to deflate the balloon. So if my stress is like a balloon, the way I deflate it is by letting out that stream of air. And I do that by talking to people and even explaining to my kids. It was helpful for them to understand. Like I knew it had been a bad week when I came home one night. I had snuck out. Our local Panera did open indoor seating. So like nobody's really in there yet, but I was so desperate. I went and sat in a back corner for a few hours and I got home late and my teenage son, so very out of character, came to the door. And he's like, hey, mom, uh, you're home. And I'm like, yes. He's like, can I help you? And he like took my computer Aww. bag and carried it into the house. And he's like, how are you, mom? How was your day? And I knew Aww. I knew at that point he knew his mom <laughs> yeah. was like a walking time bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but then I was able to say, here's how it really was and explain how I was feeling and why. And that it wasn't their fault. It was just a reality that I was struggling to come to terms with in our house. And for me, that really was the most powerful thing this week was to just say how I actually was feeling. And then when I did that, it allowed other people to offer their experiences which were really, really helpful tools to be able to hang my own crazy on, you know, to say, oh, like this is why. And there was like a place to hang how I was feeling. And and that in itself is a form of relief. Mm-hmm. Stories, I tell you. Yes, to tell your <laughs> story to someone stories. so they can tell a story back. And together we understand, we make sense, we interpret. Mm-hmm. So may you find friends this week to help you interpret your story, no matter what it looks like. I know there are some people who are really leaning into this time of home right now and are feeling like they don't want that opportunity removed. It helps them feel safer physically, mm-hmm. which we understand. We know there are other places that are opening up. It's hard to even imagine, like in some states, friends, kids are away at camp, which I try. That's what makes me jealous when I, <laughs> when I see that happening. <laughs> Uh, But I do think we just keep trusting each other with our stories um, and we trust the God who writes our stories and that he somehow knows 
he hasn't lost control of the plot line. Like that somehow mm -hmm. he's still in control of this plot that we're all living. <laughs> it's true. We do still have a good storyteller. Yeah. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.